Today, we begin a new series on missions. And for the entire month of August, we're going to be in a series on missions. And actually, for the foreseeable future, every month of August, we will focus that month on missions. You might ask, well, why? Why every month? Why, why every August of every year will we focus on missions? And before we can answer that question, we have to ask this question, what is missions? Missions comes from the Latin verb missio, which means, literally means to send. And all over the Bible, you see this idea of sending in various and multitudes of different ways. And what we're going to do this month and every August for the foreseeable future is we're going to highlight all of our missionaries. Maybe some of you don't even know some of the missionaries that we support financially. We have missionaries that we support all over the world. We have missionaries that attend our church every week, Expressions of Emmanuel, Vond and Steve Hamilton. And so we're going to highlight them. We're going to introduce them to our church. You're going to learn about them. You're going to learn about their mission, what they're doing, um, how we can pray for them. Because it's important for us as the local church to be a mission-driven church. Because our God is a missional God. And missions, church, exists because the worship of God does not. What do I mean when I say that? The worship of God does not exist. Well, in this book that I'm reading right now, John Piper uh, writes, and let the nations be glad, which I highly recommend, he says this, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. And when this age is over and countless of millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. Therefore, worship is the fuel and goal of missions. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that God is zealous for His own glory. And that's precisely why missions exist. For the global glory of God for all the earth. And it is the passion of God's own heart that the whole earth glorify His name. God wants His name to be exalted among the nations. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So God is passionate about His own name being famous. Therefore, the ultimate goal of God is to uphold and display the glory of His own name among the whole earth. That is the mission of God. And church, if you are passionately in love with God, you will be passionately in love with missions. And this is exactly why missions exist. This is exactly, exactly why sending exists in the church. And so when we talk about missions, we have to think bigger. It's not just thinking outside of ourselves. Missions in, involves the entire world. And so the question now becomes, where do we fit in in this global mission God has to glorify His own name among all nations? And this is where I want to take us in Matthew chapter 28. For the next few weeks, we're going to take a deep dive in and study this passage, the great commission that Jesus gives His disciples and what Jesus gives you and me today. And so if you have your Bible, you can follow along with me. I'm going to start in Matthew 28 verse 16. It says this, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the very end of the age. So this is what's known as the Great Commission. And I want to encourage every person in this room over the course of this next few weeks to memorize this passage. Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. Word for word, memorize that passage. In fact, at the beginning of my sermon for the next few weeks, we're going to recite that passage together without the scripture on the screen. So let that be your challenge for the coming week to to begin to memorize those few verses. And also, I want to say to parents, encourage you to encourage your kids to memorize Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whatever version you want, Glenn. Whatever version you prefer. Whatever is easiest for your kids. But this morning, I want to focus not so much on the entire passage, because we're going to study it all month. But this morning, I want to focus on one word. Go. Just one word. But this one word has major implications on the life of our church, and it has major implications on your life as a Christian. Now remember, this is Jesus himself speaking to his disciples 2,000 years ago. He was their teacher. He was their Messiah. He shared his wisdom. He showed his power. He revealed to him his authority over all things. Jesus discipled them for three years, preparing them, you could say, for this great commission, for this moment in Matthew 28 that Jesus gives them. This is a moment of transfer of the relationship Jesus has with his disciples. This is a moment of transfer that Jesus has with us. Jesus is transferring his own mission. The very reason that he came to this world, he's transferring the responsibility onto his followers. He's, res- he's transferring that responsibility onto us, his church. So what is that mission? What is Jesus transferring us? Well, if you were to just flip over in your Bible to the next page, probably, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. This is Jesus speaking. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark 1, 38, and he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And then if you go to the end of Mark, chapter 16, verse 15, he says this, this is Jesus, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The mission of Jesus was to preach the good news. That's what the gospel is, it's good news. Jesus came to the earth to die on the cross for the sins of the world. All who believe in him, repent of their sins, turn to him, trust in him as Lord and Savior, will be given eternal life. That's why he came. His mission was to open blind eyes, to open deaf ears, to heal the lame, to raise the dead. The mission of Jesus was to save the lost and reconcile sinners to himself. That's the mission of Jesus. To restore the human heart, you could say. And Jesus isn't unleashing his disciples out into the world unprepared. The implication to preach the gospel was already there. They've already been made disciples. They spent 
three years with Christ. And we're going to unpack what it means to be a disciple and what it means to make disciples in the coming weeks. But the disciples knew what to do. They're not going to be on their own either. Jesus gives them this promise. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That, of course, is through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that lives in those who believe, that lives in those who are Christ followers. Now all they have to do is go. They're being sent by their Savior to go out into all the world, to preach the gospel to all nations. Go and make Jesus famous. Go with the authority Jesus has. He's telling them to go. Go is a verb. It means to travel. It it means to go away. It means to be sent. It's not stationary. It's not stagnant. It doesn't mean stay. If Jesus wanted his disciples to stay where they were and make disciples in the region of Judea, then he would have said, and it would be in Scripture for us today, stay, therefore, and make disciples of this one nation. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus isn't asking either. He's not even suggesting go and make disciples of all the nations. He's not. This isn't a recommendation. I think you guys should go and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus is telling them this is a call to obey. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. It's a call to obey. Remember, when you see the word therefore, you ask the question, what's it therefore? Jesus says right before this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Under the authority of the King over all creation, Jesus tells his disciples to go. To be a church who goes. Here's what I want you to to leave with today. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, then going will be the way of your life. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, then going will be the way of your life. No matter where, no matter how, no matter what it looks like, going will be the way of your life. Jesus has the authority in this passage. In fact, Jesus has authority throughout all of Scripture. He wrote it. He is the author of the Word of God. And He's the King of all creation and the Lord of all the universe. The question is, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Because if Jesus is the Lord of your life, then going will be the way of your life. That's what all of this boils down to. This passage in Matthew 28 means nothing. And the Great Commission will mean absolutely nothing to any of us if Jesus doesn't have authority over us. And if Jesus is your Lord, then you are His servant. And what do servants do? They obey their masters. I think it's important that we don't misunderstand the influence and the authority that Jesus had on this earth. Jesus wasn't a puny, malnourished, long-haired, blue-eyed Savior, frolicking around in Galilee, healing and helping people. Jesus had authority. Jesus was respected. Jesus was a man's man. I think we often forget that, especially in all the pictures you see of Jesus today. Let me explain it this way. There's a story in Matthew 8 of this Roman centurion. He comes up to Jesus and he asks him to heal his servant. This is what it says in Matthew 8. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, 
I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. A couple of things to note. Capernaum was located on the western shores of Galilee. This is exactly where Jesus called some of his followers. People like Peter. Follow me, Peter, and I will make you fishers of men. It happened on the Sea of Galilee. This is where the place, place where Jesus called many of his disciples. And like most of Israel, the Jews didn't like the Romans. And so now you have this Roman centurion coming up to Jesus, no doubt in front of crowds of people. A Roman centurion was a Roman officer who had at least 80 Roman soldiers under his authority. So he no doubt had power and he no doubt exercised authority. And this Roman officer, a man with power, a man with authority, comes up to Jesus and he calls him Lord. The Romans were the ones oppressing the Jews, by the way. This was a Roman officer, a man with great power and a man with great authority. And he comes up to this Jesus of Nazareth and he calls him Lord. An officer of the most powerful force in the known world comes up to the carpenter from Nazareth in front of crowds of people and he says, Lord. Lord means master. It means ruler. It means owner of all things. Jesus, by this point, had built himself a reputation. And this was a sign of respect, submission to the will and mercy of the master, the one who controls all things and the one who is owner of all things. I don't know if you've ever looked at Jesus that way. As your master, as the ruler of the universe, the owner of all things. One of the definitions here for Lord in the Greek is to whom a person belongs to. To whom a person belongs belongs to and so the one with great authority the Roman soldier submits to the one who has all authority Jesus and this is Christianity Christianity is not a life of comfort Christianity is not about you it is not about me Christianity is not a stationary and stagnant life it's not sitting back and enjoying the comforts of this world and coming to church and hearing about Jesus and then going out and living for yourself Either you are the Lord of your life or Jesus is the Lord of your life. And Jesus is commanding you and me to go out and make disciples of all the nations. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's a command. And when you receive a command, you don't get to ask questions. You don't point fingers either saying, well, they're not doing their part and they're not doing as much as they could be doing. And so if they're not doing their part and they're not doing as much as they could be doing, then I'm not going to do as much as I could be doing. You know, if they're not doing it, then, you know, why should I do it? If they're not going to labor in the gospel with me, then what's the point? Discipleship, the Great Commission, is a command to you, to me. We don't debate it. We don't argue it. We don't ask questions. We don't point fingers. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, then going will be the way of your life. 
Let me illustrate it this time. When your commanding officer tells you to do something, you do it. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for debate. There's no room for argument. Simply put, we obey, period. That's our response to the Great Commission. So what does it mean to go? In its simplest form, to go means to live your life on mission. To be sent out to preach the gospel to the whole world. Preach there is not preach from a pulpit. Preach there is proclaim. And God has given all of us the power to proclaim the gospel. To tell people about Jesus. To teach them what His Word says. What it means. To lead people to Jesus. To lead people to repentance of sins. And to a life in Christ through baptism. Our lives as this church should revolve around this kind of life. Obeying Jesus by going on behalf of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. I'm asking myself this question these last several days. When was the last time you shared the gospel with anyone? When was the last time you approached somebody and loved them in a way that would lead them to Christ? When was the last time you shared the gospel? You proclaimed the greatest news in the universe there is not any news that exists in all of the universe better than the gospel we have got to live our lives the way the early church lived their lives selling everything giving all that they had to the poor giving all of their lives for the spread of this gospel when was the last time you shared the gospel You want to know what it looks like to live on mission? You want to know what it looks like to be sent out into the world? You want to know what it looks like to go two ways? Number one, it will cost you something. What does it mean to go? What does it mean to be sent as an individual, to proclaim the gospel as a church, to make disciples of all the nations? It means it will cost you something. Following Jesus is not about money. It's not about material things. It's not about self-exaltation. It's not about you. There is not one second of the Christian life that is about you or me. Not one second. It's not about prestige. It's not about class. It's not about social status. It's not about you. It's not about us. You can't become a follower of Jesus and expect your life to ever look the same. You cannot become a follower of Christ, the living God, and expect your life to ever look the same. It's not supposed to. A religious teacher came up to Jesus and he said this, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of, his, of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. In other words, following Jesus could lead you to homelessness. If you are willing to give up your life to make disciples of all nations, Jesus is saying, it's going to cost you something. Because what you're saying is, my life is not my life. It does not belong to me. It belongs to Him. If that means becoming homeless, then that's what I have to do. That's the cost of making disciples of all the nations. Everything that you have. And following Jesus might mean you miss out on relationships. 
Following Jesus means that you will have to miss out on some things in life. That even means relationships. There might be people that you love. There might be people that love you. But because you have come under the authority of Christ and made Him your Lord, your life will never look the same. And people may have a problem with that. And you have to count the cost. Do I care so much about some of these relationships? People will not love what you love. They will not agree with what you agree with. Following Jesus, making disciples of all the nations might cost you relationships. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out, into, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet who to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Christianity is not about us. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said the only man who has the right to say that he is justified by grace alone is the man who has left all to follow Christ. So, living your life on mission, going out of your comfort zone, if we're actually doing this to the extreme that the early church did it, our lives would look a lot different. People would begin to ask you questions. Why are you doing the things that you're doing? Now that opens up a conversation because I have made Jesus my Lord of my life. We will lose people we love because of what we believe. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to have to count the cost. That's number one. Number two, what does it mean to go? It means you will lose your life. To go means you will lose your life. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus is saying, I will suffer for who I am. The disciples knew what the cross meant. A gruesome, horrific instrument of death in their day. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you will suffer like I have suffered. If you want to follow me, they will hate you because they hate me. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you have to deny all that you are. Take up a new identity. You will be hated like me and you will suffer like me. In other words, the life that you always have known, consider that a fairy tale and a dream. This is the stark reality of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Jesus says, you will lose your life. 
Another definition I saw for go in the Greek was to depart from life. To depart from life. Jesus says, go. Depart from all that you've known about your own life. And then go make disciples of all nations. Depart from your life and make disciples of all nations. Stop living the way you're living now that you are my disciple and make disciples of all the nations. Depart from the life that you once knew. The Apostle Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ. Then he says, just a couple of verses later, one verse later, in fact, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if the Holy Spirit of the living God lives in you, then you are in Christ. And Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new person. The old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. Let me ask you a question. Why do we go to funerals? We go to funerals to pay our respects, to celebrate, to mourn the lives of those who have died. But the reality is that when we're at a funeral, the one in the casket is the one that has passed. They're the ones that have died. They're the ones that are gone. So it is in the spirit world. When you become a Christian, when you truly become a devoted follower of Christ, if Christ lives in you, your old life has been put to death. This is the implication of what it means to follow Christ. You will lose your life because your old life has died. It's been put to death. People should look at you and see a completely different person. People should look at you and say, man, you know, you started going to this church, you started reading your Bible, um, you told me you were baptized, you told me you've been worshiping Jesus. Man, you were like, your life is just a 180 completely turned. I don't even recognize you. It's as if your old life has been buried. It's as if your old life died. And you know what I think one of the most heartbreaking things in, in the church in America is? I think many Christians believe that they are in Christ. I think they believe that the Holy Spirit lives in them. They have been made a new creation, a new person. The problem is they have a hard time burying their old life. They have a hard time burying their old life. Imagine it this way. Jesus walks into your house. You just got back from church. You surrendered your life to Jesus. The Holy Spirit has now come and made his home in you. Jesus walks in and he says, here I've brought your old, your old body in this casket in your living room. It's this dead body. It's, it's, it's your old body. You're now a new person. Follow me. Make disciples of all the nations. And Jesus leaves and and everything that Jesus said is so true, and, and you believe it with all your heart, and, and Jesus told you to dispose of that body. Get rid of it. Go bury it. Here's a shovel. Go in the backyard. But months go by, years even, perhaps, and that body is still in your house. You see, you believe you're a new person, 
but you've had a hard time burying the old one. And what Jesus is saying to all of you, and what he is saying to me, as we read Scripture, if you want to follow me, you have to count the cost, and you have to you will lose your life. Because when you are made a brand new person, you will go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that He has commanded us. And here's the best part. Here's our confidence. He will be with us always to the very end of the age. Jesus has the power to recreate life. Jesus has the power to recreate a new person within ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus has the power and the authority to make us a new person. The world and people around you, they may stay the same, but you've become a brand new creation. And this is to be the reality of the church. People who have been transformed into new people We have taken up new identities. We glory in that. And we go live our lives because of that. I want to end by telling you this story. And then we'll sing a song together. There was this pastor in Scotland in the 1800s. His name was John Patton. John Patton was actually a pastor of a church in Scotland that was healthy and growing. But the Lord had burdened his heart to go to an unreached people group in a place called the New Hebrides. It's now an island in the Pacific Islands called Vanuatu. But in the 1800s, it was called the New Hebrides. Well, the people group in the New Hebrides were known for being cannibals. Okay? And the Lord had put it on John Patton's heart to go to these people. Well, it just so happened that the Lord also put it on John Patton's heart to go to the specific island among many where missionaries had actually gone 20 years earlier. And the people of the New Hebrides had murdered them. And they had eaten them because they are cannibals. Well, John Patton starts to share his desire to his church about wanting to go there. He's describing to them the state and the reality of this people group in the New Hebrides. And what are they doing? Like anybody would do. They're They're trying to dissuade him. Don't go. Do not go. Clearly, you don't go to that place. John Patton wrote in his book, he says, Amongst many who sought to deter me was one dear old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument was, The cannibals! You will be eaten by cannibals! Don't go, John! John Patton looked back at this man and said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you, if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or or by worms. And he goes on, In that great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. And the old man left, exclaiming, After that I had nothing more to say. What could you say? So John Patton, at the age of 33, might I add, the exact same age as I am right now, You guys wouldn't let me go, would you? (laughs) John Patton goes to these islands. 
he's, he's doing what Jesus, his Savior, has commanded him to do. Go and make the disciples of all the nations. And church, there are people, as we will unpack these next few weeks, there are people in this world who have never heard the gospel still today. Who will go? Who will go? Essentially, what John Patton has done says, you know what, my life no longer, it's not mine. It never was. When I became a follower of Christ, my life died. And I became a new person. And by the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, He gives us the ability to go to such a place like the New Hebrides. Well, in the first short months of John Patton arriving at this island, his wife died and his children died. You would think that he would move back home. It never got easier. In fact, John Patton found himself digging the grave of his wife and kids with his bare hands. This is what it says in his biography. I haven't finished the book yet, but it's a humbling book to read. He faced threat after threat on his own life, but he stayed. And you know what happened? These cannibalistic people were reached with the gospel and a church was planted. A place that was once unreached with the good news of Jesus had now been engaged and reached. And a church was planted and Patton spent years there discipling, teaching them to observe all that Jesus had commanded them. And through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, New Hebrides people were made disciples. And guess what they did? They made more disciples in their own homeland. That's what it means to go and make disciples of all the nations. It will cost us everything if we do it the way Jesus commands of us. And we will lose our own lives. John Patton's church back in Scotland caught wind of this. And guess what happened? They were mobilized to wake up and to take the gospel to places like the New Hebrides. And they became one of the most known churches in the world at this time to send missionaries out to the unreached peoples of the world. A church that once tried to dissuade this man was used as a catalyst to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus is not suggesting to any one of you or me, I think you should go out and make disciples of all nations. I think that would be good. You're going to lose your life and it's going to cost you everything. It's up to you though. Well, it really is up to you and me. The question is, is Jesus the Lord of our lives or not? Because if Jesus is the Lord of our lives, then going will be the way of our lives. And going will be the way of this church. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack what does it mean to be a church that is so mission-driven, so mission-minded, so mission-focused? What does that look like in the life of this church at Hillcrest? You might think, why don't we leave that up to the mega churches, the big churches with thousands and thousands of people? Why don't, why don't we let them make a difference? Well, the church in Acts in Antioch was a small church. And they sent out missionaries. And over 2,000 years later, we have the gospel. Who's to say that God can't use a church like this? Hillcrest Christian Church, McKinney, Texas. Men and women in this room right now to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's our focus these next few weeks, to unpack 
Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And I hope and pray that we would all grow more in our affections for Christ and our desire for missions. So they're going to lead us in a song. And during that song, I want to invite anybody who wants to come up who is in need of prayer. Or maybe you have questions about missions, and I would love to chat with you. And if you're new and I've never met you, I'd love to meet you just out those doors. And if you're not comfortable coming up to pray, you can go to the prayer room. An amazing place. I love you guys.